Hello, and welcome to Second Helpings, a Grace Fellowship podcast designed to serve up another round of insight and application from our Sunday morning corporate worship gatherings. Pull up, dig in, and get filled as we take another taste of God's greatness. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Second Helpings. I'm Pastor Zach, joined again by Pastor Dan to talk about the message from this past week and the service in general. I was actually just telling Dan how blessed I was by our corporate gathering Mm. this week. I was coming back from a conference where we were talking about worship and church planning. And I guess part of that, I didn't mention that, that was part of the just being refreshed by how the Lord has blessed us here mm. with the people that we have that serve um, an abundance of not just talent, but experience and the hearts of my worship leaders and wanting to lead us in congregation mm. and our congregation singing so loud and loving what they do. Thank you for this week. It was great. Mm. Um, but we want to continue talking about this message from um, this past Sunday. We were in Second Timothy. We were in verses... 8 through 12. 8 through 12. I wanted to say it, but I wasn't confident enough. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to be wrong right off the bat. Um, But in particular, I was mentioning to you, there was something that stuck out to me, and we can get to if there's anything else you want to roll on. But I wanted to start with this. I've got it written down on my phone as a quote from Dan with the date and everything. So it's really good. You said, our attitudes are deficient of our identity. And I merely started thinking, are we truly an authentic people? If, if we don't live like who we are, can we even say that we're authentic? And do we think about that enough? So I just kind of want to set you up with that. Could yeah. you elaborate that on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think you can, you can classify it even from the previous week, being versus doing. You can have feelings versus faith. There's a lot of ways you can juxtaposition that idea. But it's the idea of our identity, we very often uh, don't remember it or don't act on it. So then our attitude is deficient. And in particular, in this passage this week, he he focused on three through seven in identity. He's trying to talk to him about his sincere or genuine faith in chapter one, verse five. Then when he transitions in verse eight, and he says, therefore, so it's acting on that and do not be ashamed. So we don't know if Timothy was ashamed, but there was something in the mind of Paul would say there's a great potential. And so... When he's talking about your genuine faith, that can't translate into being shamed. Mm -hmm. It can't be translated into being ashamed of me. So therefore, what must it conclude with if it's genuine and going to continue to grow? It must display itself in courage so that when Paul is in prison or Timothy gets faced with prison himself, uh, your genuine faith, rightly understood, that your identity should work itself out in courageous living or having courage in the face of persecution. If it doesn't, it's because you're not drawing on the genuineness of your faith. You're relying on your own abilities or your own uh, power. And that's the idea. Years ago, I heard someone say, long time ago, in a staff meeting, and I didn't totally understand it, but I think this is what they're trying to say when he says, he said, don't walk in your own power. And that's almost sounds like a riddle. Uh, if people say it periodically, but it sounds like a riddle. Sounds good, but what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. In Christians, we have a lot of these. I think that's the idea, is that acting in your own power would be forgetting what your identity is in Christ and trying to do something that demands you remember your identity in Christ. And the way that we know it 
is very much like, as we said in the, the teaching, like a thermometer. A thermometer just shows you, it reads what the environment is so what, if you have a fever. So your attitude reads what you're thinking. And if your attitude is, I can't do this, I don't have the ability, et cetera, et cetera, and you certainly can do it, like share the gospel with somebody or face persecution, you can do that because, as Paul would say later places, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ. So you must be able to or else you wouldn't be in prison. You must be able to or you wouldn't be sitting next to that person who doesn't like Christians and you happen to be one. You must be able to handle that moment because you wouldn't be in it if it wasn't true. So remember, your faith is genuine. God will keep you. You won't be abandoned. You won't be let down. And then that translates itself into our attitude to be courageous. And I think that's fundamentally what Paul is telling Timothy. When you're shrinking back, it's because you're forgetting who you are and you're not acting on the faith that you've been given, that genuine faith. And then look at what he's done for you. We talked about this. He saved you. He's called you. He has uh, empowered you. He's empurposed you. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of we have his purpose and we've all the grace necessary. So those four things, if he's done all of that, why do you think he would abandon you? Why would you think that somehow you could drift out of his control or his presence? And if we'd all admit it, we act at times like that is true, like God isn't going to control or I am out of his, his care or he doesn't love me. And that's where you go, no, I repent of that and I believe what God's word says. Yeah. That's the uh, one of the, my favorite attributes of God. Um, I don't know if I can have that. Is that wrong to have a favorite attribute of God? Oh, you can do it today. It's Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. One I dwell on frequently for life application is God's eternity. And that might seem like mm. it's too you know out there to do it, but I think about in that situation we were talking about if He's done these things. Well, because God in His eternal aspect, He knows all things. He's planned all things. If He was going to reject you at some point in the mm. future. Why would he give you all this stuff now, right? Totally. Like, it's not just simply that he's done these things. This is the eternal idea of who you are and who you've now been made to be in Christ. And I think coupling that back into that concept of um, courage, I thought, you know, there's a lot of examples that we could draw from in the world of people that seem courageous or that are, that are courage, but they might have nothing to do with Christ. Mm. But that courage is always based on something they know or believe to be true about themselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, we, I think sometimes we think that bravery is doing something like, or, or courage is doing something that's beyond ourselves. But I think really we see people doing that based on some kind of understanding of the circumstance or what they're doing, and they go do it. So for us, if we've been made, if we've been made to be this people, if the Lord's done all these things for us, courage isn't something we muster up. It's mm. our default position mm. when we properly understand who we are. So it's, I'm a Texan, so I deal with courage being wrong or right, right? It's kind of sure. where we're taught sure. that this is the way you're supposed to be. But that's all garbage. The idea that you're basing it on some of that frivolous stuff, you know, uh, of being proud. But when you understand the creator of the universe has made you, molded you, equipped you for a certain purpose and task, it's almost that it, it's no longer the definition of courage in the world. This is just fact. Right? This is the way things are. And what's wild is people in the world still act upon a certain uh, formula, you could say. So if somebody sees a house that's on fire and they hear a scream, they don't think about, okay, what can I draw on to get courage? 
They just think of the value of the life in the building. That's right. And then when they come out, the news reporter says, how could you do such a brave thing? And they're like, uh, wouldn't everybody do that? Yeah. And so the point is, is that courage is not something you that wells up or you generate. Yeah. Courage is a response. It's a response from the mentality you have, like we talked about the courageous line, yeah. the Wizard of Oz. He... There's nothing solid like a heart or a brain like the Scarecrow or the Tin Man. It's, as soon as he gets a medal and people affirm him, you are the legion of courage has given you this medal, cowardly line. All of a sudden he changes yeah. because what he believes to be true works itself out in the attitude he has. Which ironically was already there. Right? Totally. So that's and that's one of the things I want to I want to follow up with on this was because I'm sure there's some people that will hear that and they'll be like, I believe what you're saying is true, but my feeling and my experiences are not lining up with this. Yeah. So I think there's two results from that. People can go, well, am I this person? Mm-hmm. Am I saved? Am mm-hmm. I redeemed? Which is a point where that could be true. At some point, you need to examine those things. Sure. Um, but I think maybe maybe it's that we you're not understanding who you are. Right, totally. you're not inclined for it. So, but what are maybe if that's the case that some people are struggling with? Well, I, I I walk in fear, or I'm not willing to live out this person that I am. What are maybe some ways that they can build that up? Um, I don't want to say build up the courage, but build up their understanding of who they are, or maybe embracing no. who they are more. Yeah, I would totally take this passage. So when he t- says, first of all, in verse nine, who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. I would study those four components of the gospel. In other words, when you see that what he has saved you from the kind of the negative, your sin, which is a vast expanse you could never, you could never breach that expanse without him doing it. Then he has called you. It always has the idea of calling you to to the end. He doesn't call us to just get saved. He calls us to the end of our salvation, Mm. which is to be with him. And then he has a purpose for us, tailor-made purpose in our life, which fundamentally means any situation I'm ever going to be in, he has purpose. Yes. So he must empower me. That's where he says the fourth thing, by his grace. So therefore, he's got you completely surrounded. It's kind of like in John 17, where he talks about, you are in me and I am in my father. And so if you draw it in concentric circles, the idea of that I'm completely surrounded, John 10, that he, my sheep hear my voice, they know me, I called them after myself, I won't lose any of them. No one can take them out from my father's hand. When you start seeing these dynamics that are flowing from the truth of the gospel, and if you struggle with courage, read that, yeah. believe that. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth. Yeah. I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So when you start, um, faith is always meant to set the pace for our feelings. Mm-hmm. We live in a world in which everything's aiming at the feelings. So mm-hmm. all the salespeople aim at feelings, aim at feelings, aim at feelings. So then they can get you to act. Faith fundamentally says, no, it's reverse. It's the opposite. Let me help you see who you are because of what you believe about Christ and what he has done. Then your feelings follow. It's when your feelings get in the front end. Should I do this today? How do I feel about that? That's when you start getting problems. And if you think about it, um, God is almost weaning us off our feelings. It doesn't mean there's not a place for feelings. But the pri- robots. No, the, the priority of feelings in directing us, he wants to wean us away from that. Yeah. Because the more mature you get, uh, or the more you do, let's say, missions, 
If you want to feel like you should be a missionary, or if you were in another country and you feel like staying there, uh, you're not going to stay there because your feelings have to be subordinate to the truth of what you know God has called you to, and you believe that, and it lines up with Scripture, your feelings follow. And that's a very difficult transition because our flesh loves just to just the feelings. I get up in the morning. I don't feel like going yeah. to church. Or I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel. People who are mature or maturing go. It doesn't matter what I feel like. I need this. I believe this to be true, and that's the the fulcrum you could say. Yeah. When you start really growing in the faith, you start telling your feelings. You start believing something to be true, and your feelings begin to follow. Paul says you take every thought captive, yep. and he recognized that. And that's it's actually be a lot of liberty on that other end, maybe for people that think, well, I'll never get control of my feelings. You, As you sanctify your mind and your knowledge, because like, oh, I don't know to trust my feelings. What do I do this or that? And they get on the whole God's will kind of tracing down thing. Sure. As you sanctify your mind and your spirit, you actually get to a point where you can really enjoy your feelings. It's very you true. You can trust them because they're very based true. on knowledge. And that's incredibly liberating. And those feelings are way better than the other ones that might be based off of whether your team lost last night or something like that, you know? Yeah, matter of fact, somebody was telling me, uh, someone who's mature in the faith, and they were talking about, they were, they were feeling something, and it was something that would be impossible to verify via scripture. It wasn't sinful, but also it wasn't anything that you could verify. And I just let them go with it because I thought they have enough life under their belt that they wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't something that really legitimate God could just be drawing them into. Because God definitely impacts us with our feelings, but always has to conform with the framework of biblical truth. Right. And uh, so this person, I think it's very true. The more mature you get, the more your feelings will be harmonized with Scripture and not go against it. The younger you are in the faith, you'll be more conflicted because you just have not trained yourself to recognize, I think, the, the leading of Scripture, the voice of God in your life, uh, and you just see more consistency. Yeah. And see, so you got to do the work. I want to go back because when you were saying something earlier, I was thinking about the power of biblical literacy in our own lives. And I've always been envious of people that, um, maybe envious is the wrong word, but it's kind of true, that do really well with Scripture memorization. Hmm. It's never been something that I'm very good at. I'm really good at remembering what the Scriptures mean. I can generally find it. But I mean actually the word-for-word Scripture memory. Hmm. And the primary reason is I've noticed over the course of my life, a lot of these people do a better job of when they're reading the Bible, of connecting the dots. Because like when you're talking about going back and looking at this verse through the Gospels, well, when they've memorized it, they'll be reading something else and they'll go, oh, this is Mm. like this. Um, So for me, and I know I've talked to a lot of people over the years that really struggle with scripture memory, and I think they kind of give up on it. Don't give up. It's one of the, I still try to do it. Mm. I'm still terrible at it, but it's actually got other blessings that are for people like us. But when you're doing something like that, if you want to study the text you're talking about, write it out Mm. and then have it somewhere as you're going through. Well, you can see it and you can go, oh, look, this is where the word is manifesting the same truth somewhere else. And I can almost at times Mm. when I see that, it's almost like I just feel the roots go, like you almost fit in your brain and heart. You feel them physically get deeper and you're entrenched deeper into God's word. Um, And that's super, super helpful when you see scripture working these same things and truths over and over again. Those feelings get a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Somebody asked me, because I don't don't necessarily memorize scripture. I definitely memorize concepts. So a different way to approach it uh, for people, uh, because I think getting truth in you is the key. 
um, I kind of look at it like a Windows program. So I'll drop down in my brain. I have essentially an overview of the books of the Bible, yep. and I'll have what the subtexts are, subtopics. And so in my brain, if somebody is talking about persecution it's like or spiritual warfare, you know, you get Ephesians 6, you're talking about persecution, you go to another passage, you're talking about righteousness, you go to Matthew 5 through 7. So my brain, I kind of drop that down. And if you do the work on that, and if you look at redemptive history and get it in a story form, according to the purpose of that particular book or that particular context, what will happen is over time, you will you'll be able to hear a message and think of this subject and you'll just start cross-referencing in your brain and so the other day somebody was talking about sin and they were mentioning unintentional sin so my brain immediately went to leviticus 4 mm. and i started breaking that down all the way through numbers with the sin of the high hand and what that looks like and how sacrificial system related to intentional unintentional sins and and i wouldn't have been able to do that first 20 years of being a Christian, yeah. only after being in the Word uh, teaching for years. But it, it becomes this incredible blessing that it just builds, and which was a real challenge when we went to Israel and doing that teaching in Israel. Because when I was in Israel, my brain was constantly firing because we were in different locations. <laughs> and I was seeing the context in the Scripture, and I was just, I was so tired at the end of the day because... It was just adrenaline, adrenaline, and just themes, themes, themes. This is this, First Kings and Jeremiah, and, you know, it was just really cool. Yeah, that's a great tired. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was a, it was a great tired, and I think that is a real fruit, a reward, but when you start seeing it like that, yeah, it's such an incredible adventure of seeing redemptive history and the grace of God expressed throughout time in different themes that it really inspires you to read more. Yeah, I want to piggyback on that real quick too, because this isn't really, this isn't the text or topic, but uh, just about like the idea of spiritual disciplines. We just talked about something, both you and I have similar results in how our brains will work. Our brains are very different, like in the way that we do things. I wish I could do your filing system, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, we both want to go over having truth that transform our hearts yeah. and makes us look more like Christ. Yeah. So I think sometimes when people think about a spiritual discipline or some kind of act, I'm not dogging the disciplines at all, but realize they are serving towards our sanctification. Yeah. So if you're saying, I'm not good at scripture memory, my Bible reading doesn't work like other people's do, figure out a way to do it. The yeah. end is the point. Don't yeah. cop out and go, I'm not gonna do this. Figure out a way, talk to us, talk to other brothers and sisters, get ideas, because the payoff is just totally worth it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I think it's different uh, it may be even different in your life at times. So I, I would liken it to if you're reading somebody or listening to a pastor or somebody you, for a period of time, you may go, I'm really connecting with this guy. This guy's making a lot of sense. He speaks in terms I understand. And then over time, you might shift to another guy yeah. and then to another guy and then to another guy, another source. And I think that's just general life. I think that the key is, are, is truth transforming you. Yeah. It's not so much it has to be X. Yeah. Uh, I think I just think God's more creative than that, and I think we change over time, and I think we've got to keep the target in view. Uh, just different doesn't mean wrong, okay. and so I think the end is important: being conformed to Christ. Yeah, get the word in you, communicate yeah. with the Lord through prayer, mm -hmm. and not to be 
Uh, I was going to quote some, well, I was going to say by any means necessary, but I don't know that I want to bring Malcolm X into our conversation. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, That's what it went off well, track. Hey, all truth is God's truth. <laughs> he, he was wrong for clarification. Wrong. Um, well, anyway, that's really good stuff. I think there's so many things, and I'm really looking forward to getting into the rest of this book. Um, I think there's something really to be said about the title of the series with the urgent, mm-hmm. thinking about this being Paul's kind of last foray and him thinking about, I'm going to be seeing the Father soon. Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking about that intention uh, this week, maybe because of the circumstances around different things that I've been having in my life, but thinking he knows he's about to be fulfilled because mm-hmm. he's the same Paul who says, it's better for me to depart or mm-hmm. I want to depart and be of Christ, right? But I know it's time for me to stay with you. Mm-hmm. He's got to be almost excited thinking about he's going to be fulfilling his role, but he doesn't change the way he's delivering. He's still investing in Timothy. Mm-hmm. He's still investing in the body. He's finishing that race strong. So looking forward to seeing that as we go forward. Anything before we shot, or are we just going to save it for the next messages that are coming up? Well, just read ahead. Uh, chapter 1, 13 and 14, just two verses this week, versus five last week. And so uh, read ahead and get ready for it. But still the challenge on this one. Oh, two verses. You could do like four weeks. That's why I'm going two verses. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be good. Well, thanks, Dan. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Until next time, be thinking about how you can better enjoy the Lord. You can be part of spreading His fame and making His disciples. There's nothing better. We'll see you next time.
All right. Everything's on. Lights are off. We're ready to roll. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Second Helpings. I'm Pastor Zach, joined again by Pastor Dan to talk about the message from this past week and the service in general. I was actually just telling Dan how blessed I was by our corporate gathering Mm. this week. I was coming back from a conference where we were talking about worship and church planning. And I guess part I didn't mention that. That was part of the just being refreshed by how the Lord has blessed us here mm-hmm. with the people that we have that serve um, an abundance of not just talent, but experience in the hearts of my worship leaders and wanting to lead us in congregation mm-hmm. and our congregation singing so loud and loving what they do. Thank you for this week. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to continue talking about this message from um, this past Sunday. We were in Second Timothy. We were in verses... 8 through 12. 8 through 12. I wanted to say it, but I wasn't confident enough. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be wrong right off the bat. Um, but in particular, I was mentioning to you, there was something that stuck out to me, and we can get to if there's anything else you want to roll on. But I wanted to start with this. I've got it written down on my phone as a quote from Dan with the date and everything. So All it's right. really good. You said, our attitudes are deficient of our identity. And I merely started thinking, are we truly an authentic people? If, if we don't live like who we are, can we even say that we're authentic? And do we think about that enough? So I just kind of want to set you up with that. Could yeah. you elaborate that on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think you can, you can classify it even from the previous week, being versus doing. You can have feelings versus faith. There's a lot of ways you can juxtaposition that idea. But it's the idea of our identity, we very often uh, don't remember it or don't act on it. So then our attitude is deficient. And in particular, in this passage this week, he, he focused on three through seven in identity. He's trying to talk to him about his sincere or genuine faith in chapter one, verse five. Then when he transitions in verse eight, and he says, therefore, so it's acting on that and do not be ashamed. So we don't know if Timothy was ashamed, but there was something in the mind of Paul would say there's a great potential. And so... When he's talking about your genuine faith, that can't translate into being shamed. Mm-hmm. It can't be translated being ashamed of me. Yep. So therefore, what must it conclude with if it's genuine and going to continue to grow? It must display itself in courage so that when Paul is in prison or Timothy gets faced with prison himself, uh, your genuine faith, rightly understood, that your identity should work itself out in courageous living or having courage in the face of persecution. If it doesn't, it's because you're not drawing on the genuineness of your faith. You're relying on your own abilities or your own uh, power. And that's the idea. Years ago, I heard someone say a long time ago in a staff meeting, and I didn't totally understand it, but I think this is what they're trying to say when he says, he said, don't walk in your own power. And that's almost sounds like a riddle. Uh, if people say it periodically, but it sounds like a riddle. Sounds good, but what does it mean? Yeah, totally. <laughs> in Christians, we have a lot of these. I think that's the idea, is that acting in your own power would be forgetting what your identity is in Christ and trying to do something that demands you remember your identity in Christ. And the way that we know it is very much like, as we said in the the teaching, like a thermometer. A thermometer just shows you, it reads what the environment is if you have a fever. So your attitude reads what you're thinking. And if your attitude is, I can't do this, I don't have the ability, et cetera, et cetera, and you've 
certainly can do it, like share the gospel with somebody or face persecution. You can do that because, as Paul would say later places, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ. So you must be able to or else you wouldn't be in prison. You must be able to or you wouldn't be sitting next to that person who doesn't like Christians and you happen to be one. You must be able to handle that moment because you wouldn't be in it if it wasn't true. So remember, your faith is genuine. God will keep you. You won't be abandoned. You won't be let down. And then that translates itself into our attitude to be courageous. And I think that's fundamentally what Paul is telling Timothy. When you're shrinking back, it's because you're forgetting who you are and you're not acting on the faith that you've been given, that genuine faith. And then look at what he's done for you. We talked about this. He saved you. He's called you. He has uh, empowered you. He's purposed you. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of we have his purpose and we've got all the grace necessary. So those four things, if he's done all of that, why do you think he would abandon you? Why would you think that somehow you could drift out of his control or his presence? And if we'd all admit it, we act at times like that is true, like God isn't going to control or I am out of his, his care or he doesn't love me. And that's where you go, no, I repent of that and I believe what God's word says. Yeah. That's the uh, one of the, my favorite attributes of God. Um, I don't know if I can have that. Is that wrong to have a favorite attribute of God? Oh, you can do it today. It's Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. One I dwell on frequently for life application is God's eternity. And that might seem like mm. it's too you know out there to do it, but I think about in that situation where you're talking about if He's done these things. Well, because God in His eternal aspect, He knows all things. He's planned all things. If He was going to reject you at some point in the mm. future. Why would he give you all this stuff now, right? Totally. Like, it's not just simply that he's done these things. This is the eternal idea of who you are and who you've now been made to be in Christ. And I think coupling that back into that concept of um, courage, I thought, you know, there's a lot of examples that we could draw from in the world of people that seem courageous or that are that are courage, but they might have nothing to do with Christ. Hmm. But that courage is always based on something they know or believe to be true about themselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, we, I think sometimes we think that bravery is doing something like, or, or courage is doing something that's beyond ourselves. But I think really we see people doing that based on some kind of understanding of the circumstance or what they're doing, and they go do it. So for us, if we've been made, if we've been made to be this people, if the Lord's done all these things for us, courage isn't something we muster up. It's mm. our default position mm. when we properly understand who we are. So it's, I'm a Texan, so I deal with courage being wrong or right, right? It's kind of sure. where we're taught sure. that this is the way you're supposed to be. But that's all garbage. The idea that you're basing it on some of that frivolous stuff, you know, uh, of being proud. But when you understand the creator of the universe has made you, molded you, equipped you for a certain purpose and task, it's almost that it, it's no longer the definition of courage in the world. This is just fact. Right? This is the way things are. And what's wild is people in the world still act upon a certain uh, formula, you could say. So if somebody sees a house that's on fire and they hear a scream, they don't think about, okay, what can I draw on to get courage? They just think of the value of the life in the building. That's right. And then when they come out, the news reporter says, how could you do such a brave thing? And they're like, uh, wouldn't everybody do that? Yeah. And so the point is that courage is not something you that wells up or you generate. Yeah. Courage is a response. It's a response from the mentality you have, like we talked about the courageous line, yeah. the Wizard of Oz. He There's nothing solid like a heart or a brain like the Scarecrow or the Tin Man. 
it's as soon as he gets a medal and people affirm him, you are the legion of courage has given you this medal, cowardly line. All of a sudden he changes yeah. because what he believes to be true works itself out in the attitude he has. Which ironically was already there. Right? Totally. So that's and that's one of the things I want to I want to follow up with on this was because I'm sure there's some people that will hear that and they'll be like, I believe what you're saying is true, but my feeling and my experiences are not lining up with this. Yeah. So I think there's two results from that. People can go, well, am I this person? Mm-hmm. Am I saved? Am mm-hmm. I redeemed? Which is a point which that could be true. At some point, you need to examine those things. Sure. Um, but I think maybe maybe it's that we you're not understanding who you are. Right, totally. you're not inclined for it. so. But what are maybe if that's the case that some people are struggling with? Well, I, I I walk in fear or I'm not willing to live out this person that I am. What are maybe some ways that they can build that up? Um, I don't want to say like build up the courage, but build up their understanding of who they are, or maybe embracing who they are more. Yeah, I would totally take this passage. So when he t- says, first of all, in verse nine, who saved us called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. I would study those four components of the gospel. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you see that what he has saved you from the kind of the negative, your sin, which is a vast expanse you could never, you could never breach that expanse without him doing it. Yeah. Then he has called you. It always has the idea of calling you to the, to the end. He doesn't call us to just get saved. He calls us to the end of our salvation, mm-hmm. which is to be with him. And then he has a purpose for us, tailor-made purpose in our life, which fundamentally means any situation I've, I'm ever going to be in, he has purpose. Yes. So he must empower me. That's where he says the fourth thing by his grace. So therefore he's got you completely surrounded. It's kind of like in John 17, where he talks about you are in me and I am in my father. And so if you draw it in concentric circles, the idea of that I'm completely surrounded, John 10, that he, my sheep hear my voice. They know me. I called them after myself. I won't lose any of them. No one can take them out from my father's hand. When you start seeing these dynamics that are flowing from the truth of the gospel, and if you struggle with courage, read that. Yeah. Believe that. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth. Yeah. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So when you start, um, faith is always meant to set the pace for our feelings. Mm-hmm. We live in a world in which everything's aiming at the feelings. So all mm-hmm. the salespeople aim at feelings, aim at feelings, aim at feelings. So then they can get you to act. Faith fundamentally says, no, it's reverse. It's the opposite. Let me help you see who you are because of what you believe about Christ and what he has done. Then your feelings follow. It's when your feelings get in the front end. Should I do this today? How do I feel about that? That's when you start getting problems. And if you think about it, um, God is almost weaning us off our feelings. It doesn't mean there's not a place for feelings. But the pri- robots. No, yeah. the, the priority of feelings in directing us, he wants to wean us away from that. Yeah. Because the more mature you get, uh, or the more you do, let's say, missions, if you want to feel like you should be a missionary, or if you were in another country and you feel like staying there, yeah. uh, you're not going to stay there. Because your feelings have to be subordinate to the truth of what you know God has called you to, and you believe that, and it lines up with Scripture, your feelings follow. And that's a very difficult transition because our flesh loves just just the feelings. I get up in the morning. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel... 
people who are mature or maturing go, it doesn't matter what I feel like. I need this. I believe this to be true. And that's the the fulcrum, you could say, when you start really growing in the faith. You start telling your feelings. You start believing something to be true, and your feelings begin to follow. Paul says you take every thought captive, and he recognized that. That's it's actually be a lot of liberty on that other end, maybe for people that think, well, I'll never get control of my feelings. You, As you sanctify your mind and your knowledge, because like, oh, I don't know to trust my feelings. What do I do this or that? And they get on the whole God's will kind of tracing down thing. Sure. As you sanctify your mind and your spirit, you actually get to a point where you can really enjoy your feelings. It's very you true. You can trust them because they're very based true. on knowledge. And that's incredibly liberating. And those feelings are way better than the other ones that might be based off of without your team lost last night or something like that, you know? Yeah, matter of fact, somebody was telling me, uh, someone who's mature in the faith, and they were talking about, they were, they were feeling something, and it was something that would be impossible to verify via scripture. It wasn't sinful, but also it wasn't anything that you could verify. And I just let them go with it because I thought they have enough life under their belt that they wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't something that really legitimate God could just be drawing them into. Because God definitely impacts us with our feelings, but always has to conform with the framework of biblical truth. Right. And uh, so this person, I think it's very true. The more mature you get, the more your feelings will be harmonized with Scripture and not go against it. The younger you are in the faith, you'll be more conflicted because you just have not trained yourself to recognize, I think, the, the leading of Scripture, the voice of God in your life, uh, and you just see more consistency. Yeah. And see, so you got to do the work. I want to go back because when you were saying something earlier, I was thinking about the power of biblical literacy in our own lives. And I've always been envious of people that, um, maybe envious is the wrong word, but it's kind of true, that do really well with Scripture memorization. Hmm. It's never been something that I'm very good at. I'm really good at remembering what the Scriptures mean. I can generally find it. But I mean actually the word-for-word Scripture memory. Hmm. And the primary reason is I've noticed over the course of my life, a lot of these people do a better job of when they're reading the Bible, of connecting the dots. Because like when you're talking about going back and looking at this verse through the Gospels, well, when they've memorized it, they'll be reading something else and they'll go, oh, this is Mm. like this. Um, So for me, and I know I've talked to a lot of people over the years that really struggle with scripture memory, and I think they kind of give up on it. Don't give up. It's one of the, I still try to do it. Mm. I'm still terrible at it, but it's actually got other blessings that are for people like us. But when you're doing something like that, if you want to study the text you're talking about, write it out mm. and then have it somewhere as you're going through. Well, you can see it and you can go, oh, look, this is where the word is manifesting the same truth somewhere else. And I can almost at times mm. when I see that, it's almost like I just feel the roots go, Ugh. like you almost fit in your brain and heart. You feel them physically get deeper and you're entrenched deeper into God's word. Um, and that's super, super helpful when you see scripture working these same things and truths over and over again. Those feelings get a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Somebody asked me, because I don't, I don't necessarily memorize scripture. I definitely memorize concepts. So a different way to approach it uh, for people, because uh, I think getting truth in you is the key. Yeah. Um, I kind of look at it like a Windows program. So I'll drop down in my brain. I have essentially an overview of the books of the Bible, yep. and I'll have what the subtexts are, subtopics. And so in my brain, if somebody is talking about persecution it's like or spiritual warfare, you know, you Ephesians 6, you're talking about persecution, you go to another passage, you're talking about righteousness, you go to Matthew 5 through 7. So my brain, I kind of drop that down. And if you do the work on that, and if you look at redemptive history and get it in a story form, according to the purpose of that particular book or that particular context, what will happen is over time, 
you will you will be able to hear a message and think of this subject and you'll just start cross-referencing in your brain and so the other day somebody was talking about sin and they were mentioning unintentional sin so my brain immediately went to leviticus 4 mm. and i started breaking that down all the way through numbers with the sin of the high hand and what that looks like and how sacrificial system related to intentional unintentional sins and and i wouldn't have been able to do that yeah. first 20 years of being a Christian, yeah. only after being in the Word uh, teaching for years. But it, it becomes this incredible blessing that it just builds, and which was a real challenge when we went to Israel and doing that teaching in Israel. Because when I was in Israel, my brain was constantly firing because we were in different locations. <laughs> and I was seeing the context in the Scripture, and I was just, I was so tired at the end of the day because... It was just adrenaline, adrenaline, and just themes, themes, themes. This is this, First Kings and Jeremiah, and, you know, it was just really cool. Yeah, that's a great tired. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was a, it was a great tired, and I think that is a real fruit, a reward, but when you start seeing it like that, yeah. it's such an incredible adventure of seeing redemptive history and the grace of God expressed throughout time in different themes that it really inspires you to read more. Yeah, I want to piggyback on that real quick too, because this isn't really, this is in the text or topic, but uh, just about like the idea of spiritual disciplines. We just talked about something, both you and I have similar results in how our brains will work. Our brains are very different, like in the way that we do things. I wish I could do your filing system, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, we both want to go over having truth that transforms our hearts yeah. and makes us look more like Christ. So I think sometimes when people think about a spiritual discipline or some kind of act, I'm not dogging the disciplines at all, but realize they are serving towards our sanctification. Yeah. So if you're saying, I'm not good at scripture memory, my Bible reading doesn't work like other people's do, figure out a way to do it. The yeah. end is the point. Don't yeah. cop out and go, I'm not going to do this. Figure out a way. Talk to us. Talk to other brothers and sisters. Get ideas. Because the payoff is just totally worth it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I think it's different. Uh, it may be even different in your life at times. So I, I would liken it to if you're reading somebody or listening to a pastor or somebody you, for a period of time, you may go, I'm really connecting with this guy. This guy's making a lot of sense. He speaks in terms I understand. And then over time, you might shift to another guy yeah. and then to another guy and then to another guy, another source. And I think that's just general life. I think that the key is... Are, is truth transforming you? Yeah. It's not so much it has to be X. Yeah. Uh, I think I just think God's more creative than that, and I think we change over time, and I think we've got to keep the target in view. Uh, just different doesn't mean wrong, okay. and so I think the end is important, being conformed to Christ. Yeah, Get the Word in you. Communicate yeah. with the Lord through prayer, mm. and not to be... Uh, I was going to quote some, well, I was going to say by any means necessary, but I don't know that I want to bring Malcolm X into our conversation. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's when it went off well, track. Hey, all truth is God's truth. <laughs> he was wrong for clarification. Wrong. Um, well, anyway, that's really good stuff. I think there's so many things, and I'm really looking forward to getting into the rest of this book. Um, I think there's something really to be said about the title of the series with the urgent, mm -hmm. thinking about this being Paul's kind of last foray and him thinking about, I'm going to be seeing the Father soon. Mm. I, I was just thinking about that intention uh, uh, this week, maybe because of the circumstances around different things that I've been having in my life, but thinking he knows he's about to be fulfilled because mm. he's the same Paul who says, it's better for me to depart or I wanted to part and be of Christ, right? But I know it's time for me to stay with you. Mm. He's gotta be almost excited thinking about he's gonna be fulfilling his role, but he doesn't change the way he's delivering. He's still investing in Timothy. Mm. He's still investing in the body. He's 
finishing that race strong. So looking forward to seeing that as we go forward. Anything before we shot? Are we just going to save it for the next messages that are coming up? Well, I'll just read ahead. Uh, chapter 1, 13 and 14, just two verses this week versus five last week. And so uh, read ahead and get ready for it. But still the challenge on this one. Oh, There's two verses. You could do like four weeks. That's why so. I'm only two verses. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good. Well, thanks, Dan. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Until next time, be thinking about how you can better enjoy the Lord. You can be part of spreading his fame and making his disciples. There's nothing better. We'll see you next time. That wasn't bad. No, fantastic. It was like the other one was better, though. I got to go back and see what it was. Yeah, we'll see you next time. I got these thinking loan sharks calling me. Loan sharks? You no, know, I'm refinancing the house. I was oh, looking at it last year. Oh, you're going to get hammered. Here's the thing. This, I didn't check with anybody because the guy that was last time, yeah. I had to have this kind of pay for a year before we could do it. So I said, just call me. Nobody's going uh, to beat what he's got. Yeah. I didn't contact anyone, but once he runs the numbers, oh, 40 yeah. calls a day, man. Yeah, that's amazing. That is a... Get out of here.